Uh, okay, so we're in Acts chapter 14. Um, so last time, uh, you know, kind of, kind of saw that Paul and Barnabas were faithfully preaching, wherever they went, faithfully preaching. Um, it's going to end up being kind of their, their, uh, their temperament, their, I don't know if their motto, but, but their attitude wherever they go. Um, they got to Antioch, Pisidia after a tough journey, and they were forced to leave. Uh, so Paul and Barnabas, they headed to Iconium, uh, where they faced uh, an even greater threat. Um, they then headed to Lystra, where after healing a crippled man, uh, I remember Paul uh, saw that he had faith and uh, healed him, and he stepped up and was perfectly healed. Then they're uh, revered as gods by the people. But no matter the city, they continue to faithfully preach the gospel. So I want to backtrack a little bit and go over, cover a little bit of ground that we did last week and just kind of pause and look at some of the things that, that we saw um, uh, last time and then how that will lead us to, to uh, some more of Acts that we're going to cover. So let's start in uh, verse 8 um, in chapter 14. So um, I'll read, uh, I don't know, I think about to 18. So I'll read those 10 verses and then we'll kind of look back and some of the details we went over last week. Um, but I want to kind of look at this at a, a little bit different angle about uh, how they reacted to the crowd. So verse 8 in chapter 14, Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lycaonian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they were, uh, tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men! Why are you doing these things? We are also men of nature, uh, like nature, with you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness." Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. So um, I kind of broke this up into kind of three, three sections if we look kind of the scenario, like what happened, the correction, and then really what was the result. And again, we covered some of the details last week. I may touch on some of those things, um, but I wanted to kind of look at that in, in, in a different, different light. So the scenario was, right, you know, the, Paul uh, uh, was speaking and a crippled man had heard him you know, heard what he was saying, and it says that he had faith. Um, so what does that indicate about what Paul had likely said? If it says that Paul was speaking and the man had faith, what was it that you think that Paul was likely saying if the man had faith? What's that? Yeah, because Luke just says that he was speaking to the crowd and then the man had faith. And so, what's that? Sharing the gospel, yeah. And so, I, you know, kind of want to just, you know, make that point maybe a little obvious, uh, which Luke does, and he just kind of goes over that because he focuses more on the what happened than what was said. Um, 
But if you say the man had faith, when you say, well, faith in what? And what was Paul's message that he preached? What was the faith in what? So faith, faith in Jesus Christ. Even if we took a step up a little bit, if he doesn't actually say Jesus Christ, no matter what, he's, he tells them to, to believe in one single God that made the heavens and the earth. That's, that's at least on the surface of what Paul's message is. So this man either had a conversion to the one true God, which would be similar to kind of the God of, of Judaism, um, what the Jews would believe, right? But then centrally focused that without anything, you know, Paul, and you can go to all Paul's letters and see that without faith in Jesus Christ specifically, right, that, that it is Jesus that needs to be Lord. So we just kind of assume that that was what was uh, what was was talked about and what was preached. Sorry about that. Um, so, yeah, so kind of on the service, Paul has already shared some sort of message that somebody could have faith in, all right? And that'll, that'll set us up a little bit for what, what we're going to talk about in a second. But I just want to kind of put that out there so we have that understanding. Now, Paul healed the man. It says that he, he uh, healed the man and the man, you know, uh, got up and walked. We talked about that last week. So what was the purpose in Paul's healing this man? Okay, so now there's, there's two things that we said. Uh, one, and primarily, I would say, this is the reason that God allows man to do miracles, was, and this is primarily why Jesus did miracles, was to... Um, substantiate, and just like Zach said, to kind of testify to the message that was being said. Now, for this man, he already had faith before being healed, right? So it wasn't necessarily for him, it was for others. For this man specifically, he didn't need, well, this could either be confirmation, it's like the Holy Spirit's confirmation to this guy, you know, like what you believe is actually true. But secondarily, what's the other reason that somebody is healed? What's that? Okay, to give glory to God. Well, we may say, all right, so we'll give a third. <laughs> so, so to give glory to God, that's definitely true. And I would say that's maybe coupled with to substantiate the message that really is pointing to God's plan of salvation. I would say secondarily is to actually give physical blessing to a particular person, right? Whether it's, you know, a miracle of food, a miracle of healing, a resurrection from the dead. Like that person, the people that experience that miracle are usually blessed by that. Um, you would usually say on the opposite you could, you, could, uh, you could say some of the Old Testament um, miracles uh, with some of the judgments um, uh, from God are more on cursing side. But on the, the sense where it's a bless, uh, there's actually a physical recipient for that. So he received something physical for him. It would have also done a, uh, uh, also would hope to substantiate the message that Paul was preaching. Um, but I think really Paul was singularly, you know, healing this man for the affliction and saying, yeah, this faith uh, God is doing and hopefully making that connection for other people to see. Well, what was the ultimate consequence? What do we know that happened? They ended up worshiping, worshiping Paul of okay, they end up worshiping Paul instead of God. And that's, that's I'm glad you said it that way, um, because really... They had seen, they had heard the message, they had seen a miracle, and then they had totally misplaced the miracle and the message and then adopted it to their own worldview. Because what, what was their worldview? What do we see happening here? Like, what was the result? They came rushing out with what? 
Yeah, and they were, at, you know, they were nearby the temple, and it says that the, te- the priest came out and brought sacrifices and was like trying to basically circumvent everything, and everyone then attributed it to that. It's like, you know, sharing the gospel with somebody in front of Walmart, you know, and somebody saying, it must be Walmart that did this, right? You know, and, and making, attributing wrongly to what they were thinking, right? Um, Can you just picture how chaotic that was? I mean, all these people, and, and then here comes the bulls. <laughs> well, there was a and there was a picture of uh, um, I don't know if it was there, but in the area of uh, uh, on some I think it was on some pottery. I actually know it was a a um, kind of a I don't know what you call it a relief of some sort that was uh, showed uh, pigs and bulls and things that were part of that sacrifice. So it was like all of these animals. Uh, the other thing that, again, that was referenced, we kind of talked about last time, was that they spoke in a different language, right? So the people were responding in a different language, uh, maybe on purpose for, for Paul not to understand, and to kind of then twist people. You know, it's obviously, you could say, I mean, you see how Satan kind of works in the, this area to kind of then shift, you know, whatever this miracle is, is not God, it's something else. It's Zeus. And sorry calling them Zeus, sorry calling, um, uh, sorry calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes we talked about that because there was a mythology that uh, that city specifically had been wiped out because these gods had visited them and they didn't uh, pay homage to them. Um, and so they bring that out. They put garlands on their neck. And we kind of talked about last time um, how, you know, Paul, when he was at the previous city, he was at uh, Iconium. Um, what happened? You guys remember what happened? Well... At Iconium, they was forced out of the city. You know that there was a threat on his life, in that that he was forced out of the city, and so they left before there was you know something could happen to them, and so they just left, kind of maybe beaten down. Um, I mean, Paul still continues. That's again the whole thrust of what we talked about: is that no matter where he went, he's still preaching the gospel, but he goes where he was not revered. Okay, and he comes and he shares the gospel and heals a man, and then all of a sudden he's like treated like a god. I mean, literally treated as a god, where people brought out food and whatever. And we talked about the fact that he could have just been swept up with that. Like, maybe I'll just go with it for a little bit, you know. Maybe I'll, like, make, make your sacrifices. And then maybe at that time, you know, maybe during the feast, I'll, like, bring them back towards, you know, talking about Jesus, you know. And sometimes we, we can kind of get caught up with that, even in our own culture. Like, especially, like, you know, how we, how we deal with people. Sometimes we get in our own heads, as far as like uh, sharing with them Jesus, that sometimes we, we kind of lose fact that they need to, to hear about Jesus. Um, but we kind of but Paul doesn't 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 do that, and we'll, we'll get to that in just a second. But people all the time kind of twist scripture or twist some like true belief to make it fit into their lifestyle. Um, does anybody know anybody who says that they believe what the Bible teaches? Um, but you may doubt that they have sincere faith. Does anybody know anybody? I'm not saying to share it, but has anyone ever encountered anybody who says they believe the Scripture, they believe what the Bible says, but you kind of doubt that they have sincere faith? All right, so I don't see everyone's hands going up. But, you know, I'm sure most of you guys, you know, it's maybe rhetorical in the sense that we probably all know somebody who is like that. Now, what is it that, you know... Why do you think there is... Well, first, what is it that makes you think those things? 
What makes you think that you have those doubts? You know, again, I'm not saying like name names, you know, whatever. <laughs> What's that? Okay, the fruit they display. Now, what would you what would you say? So maybe go a little bit further with that. They don't want to go to church. Okay, so that could be a specific. Yeah, I'm not necessarily saying specifics, but you know, the fruit they display. That's kind of like you know, that's that's a that's a Jesus used that term, but you know, how does that? How can we kind of think about that? So one specific could be. They don't want to go to. They don't want to go to church. Okay, I remember uh, in seminary, um, we we had to go door to door, you know, and go go to neighborhoods, and that's definitely a humbling experience. If you've ever knocked on people's doors, because um, most people's guards are up when somebody's at the door. You know that when somebody's like, "Hey, I just want to talk to you about," and you're like, "I don't have time for this." Um, it's no matter what it is. So we had to go door to door, and we went like. I don't know, several neighborhoods. We even like felt convicted to go like do this, you know, pass the assignment and do it in a couple times. Sometimes there was great fruit and it was it was amazing, but a lot of times there's a lot of a lot of rejection. But one of the things I remember going to this one neighborhood is that I guess I felt this is in California in Los Angeles. And so one of the things I guess expected was most people to be like, I don't believe that, you know, get out of my face. But most of the people would say, oh yeah, I believe, I believe what, you know, I believe in the Bible, you know, yeah, and I believe exactly what you're saying, I think what you're doing is a good thing. And then usually we would follow up, like, oh, okay, what church do you go to? Just to kind of see, like, where they're connected and, you know, uh, and where they went. And most people weren't, weren't at a church. Now, you know, seasons of life, you're in between churches and those things happen, but, you know, if, if at a point you feel like you're not connected to a church, like, something's probably probably off you know in in what they believe and there's definitely place in scripture that says you should not forsake the fellowship of the saints and there's plenty of other reasons to encourage and and, and build one another up what's that right right and i think some people are like well you know i love christians but i don't love like churches you know and they kind of have this in their minds you know they're a, a certain experience which i don't i don't doubt i don't know if people have a a bad experience uh, at church. I guess another question for another time. Um, what? Uh, so, so you said again, like something. That, you know, you say they're fruit, but something in their life, something what they say, or something how they behave, or something that they do. That's really what you're getting at. Outward actions don't seem to reflect what is cons- the consistent message of Scripture. So, would you say that, Eric? Okay. Yeah. Right. Right. And we know from everyday conviction that there are times we fall right short of that, right? You know, but hopefully in our hearts we recognize and repent. Right. But, but something about our practice, our kind of daily walk, that do that. So kind of the follow-up to that is why do you think there is a disconnect for some people with belief and practice? Theology, okay. What, what do you mean by that? I mean, like, I mean, the, the whole, the whole idea of Christ as Lord. I mean, is foreign to generations and generations of people. I mean, in, in multiple, in multiple Protestant denominations and in Catholic denominations. Well, and the, yeah, yeah, but 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 what I'm saying is, people. I mean, in some in some traditions, it's you're baptized and confirmed, I'm saved. You're you, you walk out in other traditions, it's you walk an aisle, I pray a prayer, I'm saved. That's all I need to do. 
And so there's no, the, 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 the whole idea of justification and sanctification inherent to justification, I mean, as a result of justification is foreign to most professing Christians. When you become born again, your belief becomes known. Uh, what I used to use an analogy for that for folks when I was uh, on the street, uh, the <clears throat> you got this father who's been, has a son, he says, Don't touch this radiator because it's just hot. I've never seen this before. Mm-hmm. In the old days, if you touch it, you're going to burn yourself. So the father leaves the room, the son does what? He touches the radiator. And all of a sudden, his belief, he believed it back, but now his belief became known. Okay. Okay. It's a love thing. It's, it's, it's a love thing? Thang. T H A N G. Got it. Yeah, yeah. So it's just a. And you're going to obey him, you're going to love him because he first loved you. And I would say we can connect all those dots and say. Mm-hmm. I mean, even even from you know, from the Old Testament, I've been I've been in the 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 Pentateuch, you know, recently my my uh, kind of reading, and um, yes, it's, it's kind of like what we consistently like faced with is like God's call for people to be holy in what they do, but also corporately to display these things and to reflect what God desires, and so if you kind of like kind of put all these things together. I guess it's possible, right? You could be born again. Is it possible to remain faithful if you're outside the word? You know, it becomes harder to do. It's just like, you know, how faithful are you to your spouse if you never see each other? Um, and so the same thing with why you come you know, for corporate worship is the same thing to continually not only hear God's word, but then to hear how it's shaping other people. And then that, that kind of feeds into that love thing, right, that, that John is, is talking about to continually feed, you know, what you do. And so, so I kind of say this is like, you know, they, they hear this message, but their lifestyle is so completely different that they, a lot of times you take like things that you know morally to be true, and in your heart to be true, and you just kind of want to superimpose that into what you believe. And really, most people's beliefs outside of Christ is what? Yeah, and themselves, really. I'm glad you said that, because, you know, really the religion is, is man-made, is whatever, whatever they believe. You know, and Paul would, would talk about that in Romans, right? They, instead of worshiping the Creator, they worshiped the created things and started kind of displaying that in their own means. So they heard this message that Paul was saying, whatever this gospel was, but, they, you know, they quickly then wanted to kind of divert it and cover it and mask it and uh, accept some of the things, but, you know, adopt it into their own belief style. It's that uh, syncretism that, you know, is, is kind of a word that people use when you blend different religions. And usually, usually that's kind of where we're at in America. You know, most people, if they're, if they're not religious, kind of like blend certain things. They believe in karma. They believe in, you know, loving your neighbor. They believe in all of these things from different religions that they've kind of pulled together. And, uh, but they, they're kind of loosely held together by, by certain threads. But they can exist in that kind of bubble because nobody is willing to, like, push on it and burst it and see, like, you know, do those things hold up? You know, can you believe in those things separately? Um, yeah. 
Catholics or the Greek Orthodox or some type of thing is there's what these weapons are Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's, that plays a big part, too. How you're raised, the things that you've taught, you know, the traditions that you hold on to, and they kind of overlap and overlay. You're not willing to be changed by you know, God's Word. You're kind of allowing these other things to kind of hold you, keep you from, from growing. Um, well, how did Paul respond? So they, they, they try, to, try to worship him, put garlands around their neck. <coughs> what was Paul's response? He was horrified, right? Yeah, he wanted to go, he wanted to go in, he, with correction. He wanted to like, kind of like set, the, set, the, set the record straight uh, in, in what's going on. So that's kind of where we lead to next, the correction. <clears throat> so we're assuming that the gospel has already been, been preached um, or has been, something has been talked about in preparing to share the gospel. We see sometimes that people are cut off in their preaching. Um, <clears throat> I think Paul probably had said what he wanted to say and then healed the man. Um, but sometimes that kind of happens all together, and we've seen that in other places, right? Peter healed the lame beggar in, in Acts chapter 3 and then preached the gospel um, after that as, a, as the crowds gathered to see what was going on. Um, so, but this says the man had faith, and, and so something must have been said <clears throat> and relate, relating to. So, so, so here's kind of the things that, that Paul does, and I think it's helpful for us as we kind of see, like, well, how did Paul... Respond and now remember it goes from a celebration like we're we're looking to coronate you guys you are gods praising you and these so-called gods are now like kind of rebuking them in front of the priest right whose job it is to praise these people in front of worshippers of Zeus and Hermes to be like whoa let me just stop you in your tracks and <clears throat> we talked about that a little bit last time <clears throat> so the first thing he does is. He makes a connection with them. He kind of relates with them. And what does he say? He says, we are like you, right? We are not gods, but we are men like you, of your nature, okay? So first he kind of wants to, to make that connection that they've elevated them, and Paul's like, no, 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 I'm just on your level, okay? And again, I want us to kind of think, as we relate to others, as we kind of share our faith with others, that's kind of usually a first starting point. Like we want to relate to somebody in some way to make some sort of connection, um, you know, about why we are the same. I'm not coming with you from some religious zeal or I'm holier than thou or whatever, but coming from the fact that like I'm just like you. Um, I'm just like you, but it then leads to the second thing that Paul then is that he shares um, what you know that they don't, right? Paul knows something. Like, I'm just like you, but I have, I have one thing that I have that you don't, is I, I know something, okay? And what he knows, right, is that he has good news. That he has good news to share with them, right? He says, I'm just like nature of you, and we bring you good news. Assuming that he's already talked about that good news, he's just saying, like, that's what we're here for. We're just messengers. So not only like you, but I want to just share this one thing that you may not know, right? We all are at different places, uh, professionally or uh, educationally, background, whatever, where somebody's going to know something more about something than us. And so we're not really coming from a position of, like, I know something, I know more things than you. I just know this one thing that you may not have made this connection with in your life. And I think that's a place of humility that you can kind of come at, especially when, when you share the gospel with some of them. 
<clears throat> the next thing he does is he shows them the problem with their current world view. Okay? And what does he say? He says that you should turn from these vain things. Okay? So, like, that's what my message is. And that word vain is empty and worthless. That I hate to kind of break it to you, but your whole, and this is like the big place. And this is usually where people spend a lot of time. Like, Paul doesn't really spend a lot of time. He's talking to a huge crowd. Um, but this is usually where people get stuck on, right? Is the things that in their life, the things that they have like based their entire life, however old you are, whatever you believed up until this point, that's how many years you've invested in your worldview. And for somebody to tell you what you believe is worthless or empty or vain comes across in a few different ways. For some people... God has already kind of worked in their hearts to lead them to that place, right? They, ha- they know what they believe is vempty- vain or empty, what- just worthless, right? You know, I've turned to drinking or drugs or materialism or my job or whatever it is, and time and time again, I just left with that feeling like, you know, that this isn't what I'm supposed to be here for, right? And so some people, like those people, are usually the people that, like, give an ear to hear more, right? They, they, you've said that the things that they worship are vain, and they're willing to hear, hear you out because they agree with you, right? And probably for a lot of us, you know, that's kind of like a stepping stone that helped us, you know, to, to, to finally receive the gospel. It was like we realized everything. I mean, you have to come to that point where you realize everything you believe so far has, has been vain. And it could be I was raised in the church, but I wasn't... I wasn't you know, doing what God wants me to do. I was really believing in myself and not uh, what the Lord wants me to do. And so, so he says, you know, the vain. And then the other response is, well, who are you to say that what I, <laughs> you know, what I believe is worthless, you know? And so it comes from a place of defense and justification because people aren't ready to just let their worldview come crashing down on them. And that's okay. Hopefully, if you've related to them, you know, and, and they're willing, maybe it's somebody that you can form a relationship with, that you can over time, you know, uh, sow seeds into that. Or even over time, um, God will allow you that opportunity. But sometimes if it's just a quick meeting, it's either like, I agree or I don't. Or it turns into a battle of like, you know, argumentation. But people aren't really, again, ready to just kind of, um, you know, give it all over unless God kind of sows those seeds. So shows them the problem with their current worldview, but then gives them the solution that they should turn to. So turn to the living God. And that, that word is, you know, repentance. Is uh, where Paul says, I want you to turn from things that are vain to things that are something that can answer the problems in your life. Really, the big problem is the fact that, you know, they are at odds with God. Eventually get there. Sometimes next comes persuade them or give them proof, right? Some people are just like, yeah, I'm ready to hear more. And then, you know, you're ready to kind of, kind of share, share more with them. And Paul says, you don't know him by name, but you know him by what he has provided. And what are the things that, that he has provided? And what does he, what does he tell the people? Yeah. 
And we kind of talked about, you know, their relationship with their gods would have been kind of more like, let me appease you so you don't wipe me out. That's really like if we think about the mythology of why, again, they responded to think Paul was Hermes and, and uh, Barnabas was Zeus. is because last time these gods came to them, they didn't give them the proper respect and due, so he wiped them out. Well, Paul's kind of saying, you're not giving your proper respect and due to this God, the one living God, but you know he's still out there, and you know he still kind of is like calling you because he's giving you rain, and he's giving you fruitful seasons, and he is um, filling your hearts with food and with gladness. He's saying like he's blessing you physically, and so at least that's one thing that you know that, you know, this God is on your side, right? It's really God desires, even though there is, if you, if you reject God, there is judgment. God ultimately wants everybody saved, and so God desires to draw people to himself, and that's why we know that physical blessings are for everybody, right? The, the just and the unjust alike receive rains because it's common grace that God pours out on everybody with the hopes that, that, that people will turn to him. So, he say, it says that they're good guys. So, kind of, you know, if we kind of went back and said, how does, he, how does he make this correction? So, first, he makes a connection with them and relates to them. And then he shares that he knows something that they don't know. So, it gives, kind of gives them some, some insight that he, he's been privileged to, to share this, this good news with them. Shows them the problem with their current worldview is that their gods are vain and empty. And shows them, though, the solution is to turn to a living God. And then finally, kind of follows it up with proof. Um, some is with Scripture, uh, depending on who he's talking to. For them, who would not have had a background in the Old Testament, um, he says, like, just look at the, the world around you. And so Paul does, with different audiences, relates different things. And again, assuming that he's already kind of talked about Jesus, because a man has already had faith, kind of comes back to these things, like, hey, that's what I'm pointing, pointing you back to. Um, what do you guys think about how Paul approached these people? What are your thoughts on, on how he did that? Does anybody have like, uh, anything to add to that approach that maybe you add or, or do uh, when you share the gospel with other people? Well, he started with creation because they had no background. I mean, this is a Gentile audience. Yeah. So they, they, they would not have been, a, they didn't have that common tradition that the Jews had. Okay. So, so they started, I mean, kind of like, kind of like Paul did in, Marcel with, uh, with the Athenians. I mean, this is this is the common this is the common thing that we see empirically. So let's start there. And we've already fed their worldview that they believe that a that a god or gods had created this world, that the world didn't just come out from nothing. For most of them, the culture there are some philosophies that would have started to say you know other otherwise. But the majority of the people that you're talking to in a Gentile sense would have agreed with you. Just like you could probably say most people would agree with you. In in this sense, the non big bangers, I guess you would say, in our in our culture today, which there are less and less of, but still in the majority. <clears throat> so good, yeah. So he starts with that. I also wonder about you know it says for past generations and uh, uh, and they were wanting to offer sacrifices, you know, to Paul and them. But uh, I wonder if they thought about in the past. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I wonder if it's all that stems from the Old Testament and all that has been brought up in past generations. Yes, they were worshiping the wrong God. Right. Know, well, you know, and this would this could we could say spend a lot more time. I mean, you do kind of bring up a, a point where <clears throat> if you want to go all the way back, right? When when was the first sacrifice made to God? I guess there's a debate on that. But when was the first time you see like people come and bringing a sacrifice? Mm-hmm. Cain and Abel, right? You know, so early on in in uh, Genesis, we see that Cain and Abel bring a sacrifice to God before God had chosen Abraham and before he had a nation, before any of all that. And so at some point, you see some seed of, of sacrifice and worship to God, and then it'll diverge. The same thing is where even in, in the Iconium and even here, you see flood as part of like a destruction that gods judge people based on a flood. Well, you have to go all the way back to Noah, which is still before Abraham, before the nations and before all those things, which is why... When some people say that as a critique, you know, well, this religion has a flood narrative and that religion has a flood narrative. Well, that's because you go back far enough and it goes to a flood, right? It's just saying how people adopt the flood to their own worldview. And we've already seen that they're going to twist Paul's words and immediately apply it to Zeus, right? When he's like, no, 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 no. I don't know if you just missed everything I just said or why this guy was healed. Maybe you came in late and saw the guy healed and, you know, then responded that way, but... You know, that's, you know, people will, will twist and adopt those things to their reason. So really when people say, you know, this religion has this thing and that religion, you know, that Christianity borrowed or, you know, from those things, it's, it's well, Christianity, I mean, it goes back to the Old Testament. It's really God's story, and you can just kind of see where paths diverge. Um, well, you just got to know your audience. I mean, if you see somebody with a Joel Osteen book, you're going to talk to them differently than you talk to, you know, an atheist at a university. Which one is harder? Yes, it does. <laughs> uh, in some sense, I would not, I would not uh, disagree. So, um, so, so, yeah. So we kind of see what Paul did in his approach is probably like how a lot of us, you know, approach things. And so it's really easy as you kind of see like what Paul did. So, but then, then a lot of times when we we kind of look at the result. So. Uh, what was the result of what happened? What happened? Uh, so, um, verse 18. So they had difficulty yeah. So, it says that they still wanted to offer sacrifice to them, which means they still think that they are gods and still, like, I, you know, you might say we're just men, but either they're so embedded or entrenched in their view that maybe it's like, yeah, you're probably just saying that. You know, if you again, if you if you fully believe that Hermes and Zeus had come and wiped out your, you know, wiped out a previous, uh, you know, generations, I, I never look to see like when this mythology maybe like popped up, but you know, centuries beforehand, likely, um, then. Uh, you know, again, they wiped out the people because they didn't honor them and recognize them. You might just think, well, maybe they're testing us, right? <laughs> and so, again, you might be so entrenched in your worldview and so worshiping these vain things that you've kind of, it, it over, supersedes anything that these people are telling you. No, 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 I'm just like you. And they're like, no, you're just saying that. I'm going to sacrifice anyway, just in case. I remember uh, a cousin of mine, I was... 
they, they, they didn't grow up with church, and I, I traveled all around the country, and at one point there were these cousins that um, lived out west that I hadn't seen in a while because uh, they were older. And I remember uh, I was sitting there having dinner with them, hadn't seen them in like probably a few years, and they were kind of discussing one of the daughter's weddings. And it was interesting as they were talking about what they were going to include in the wedding uh, that they were doing a lot of things from like um, Eastern writers um, and uh, that they thought were kind of beautiful that would fit in a wedding. And they're like, well, maybe we should have something for, from the Bible. And it was like, just in case, you know. Um, that's kind of like how, and I just think, I just remember thinking that. I was like, just in case, you know. What's that? Pascal, yeah. So, so um, but that's how a lot of people operate. They're like, you know, I believe this and that, and, you know, but I will believe in the Bible because, you know, there's a lot of people that believe in the Bible. And so just in case, I might adopt that as my, as, you know, my worldview. And that's kind of how they kind of can piece things together. But they're not willing to give up everything that they believe. And that's really what happens there, right? They, like, they just, they just didn't believe. Paul tried, you know, he shared the gospel. They even say, you know, uh, you know, healed somebody, persuaded with them, and they're still like, no, 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 that's okay, that's okay, we'll still believe what we want to believe. Um, now, when somebody rejects what we say, what do we usually think is the reason? Not always, but what do we often think? How do we often respond? I said it the wrong way, I offended them, you know, maybe I shouldn't have said this, maybe it was, you know, maybe it was me, maybe it was me, maybe it was me. I'm not saying it's not you, right? Sometimes it is us, right? And we do have to think, how, how are we coming across, you know? So sometimes that's part of it. But hopefully God is, is kind of refining us. Paul definitely, we've already seen in his life, he said things that came across the wrong way. And others were like, you know, just tone it down, Paul. Uh, the message was right, so, but he, he needed to come around. But a lot of times we just doubt in our abilities. Well, what's the real reason? We saw that kind of some of the other places. Yeah, right? You know, in other places, he preached the gospel until everybody that the Lord had already had uh, um, elected, was the word he used, not elected, but the, the, uh, those that he had uh, chosen, predestined, yeah, those that he had chosen, right, to believe, like those who are the ones that respond. And that's really how we have to kind of respond as well. All right? But don't forget... Right? Even out of all that, the crowd rejects him. But who didn't reject him? What started all this? Who didn't reject him? What's that? The man who had faith. Right? We know at least one person that had faith, that was healed, that, if anything, at least Paul can, can go away um, knowing that. So I'm going to quickly go through, and we'll see, because I know... About ten or ten or so minutes. So we'll quickly go through the kind of the, the next section. But I wanted to kind of recover some of that ground, especially for us, because it's interesting how Paul talks to this, you know, Gentile audience now, um, which a lot of us can kind of find, you know, although but Jews and Gentiles, that whole mix uh we find even in our American culture, right? Jews are kind of religious and Gentiles are non religious, you know, if you want to say it that way. Although they're religious, um, we would just say in our culture, in our minds how we could approach a specific audience. Um, but we sound, see Paul is going to be stoned at, at Lystra. And so, verse 19, Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. 
But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went with Barnabas to Derbe. So um, news traveled fast, and the Jews traveled fast, to go from the two previous towns that Paul was in to uh, Lystra. So remember, Lystra is a marketplace city. It's on a highway, the, king, uh, the imperial highway. That's what they call it. It kind of goes through Turkey and around some cities, but all the cities that he goes to are on this highway. Um, and uh, being a marketplace would have been kind of a central hub. It would also had you know you could you could travel by horse or wagon or something if you have that ability. Um, now he was twenty miles from Iconium, but a hundred miles from Antioch, Pisidia. So it says like they came from those two cities. So twenty miles is a day's journey, less if you're traveling by other means. But a hundred miles. Right, it would be a five days journey by walk or faster by some other means, but at least it's going to be a several day journey by other means anyway. Um, so they came to the city, and it says that they persuaded the crowds, right? These crowds that are still wanting to sacrifice them. Now, Paul was not able to break through to them and explain to them who they were, but the Jews were. And it says that they persuaded the crowds to then understand that it's probably not Paul, you know, Zeus and Hermes that's traveling from town to town, you know, that it's these other people. So these people kind of respond offended, and they, how did, what, what was their mode of execution? Stoned him, right? So it's kind of a violent mode of death, which was, which was a little bit on purpose. I want to go to Deuteronomy, if you want to go real quick there. Um, Deuteronomy 13. I just want to read about, you know, stoning in the Old Testament. Because this is why a Jew, you know, if you kind of think like, well, why do the Jews look to stone people? And this is a good chapter to kind of think like they're thinking. And it makes sense in their worldview um, what's going on, just not, not done in a proper manner. So if, if you look at uh, Deuteronomy 13, verse 6, says, If your brother the son of your mother or your son or your daughter or the wife of your uh, wife you embrace or your friend who is your own soul entices you secretly saying, let us go and serve other gods. So this is kind of somebody close to you, which neither you nor your fathers have known. Some of the gods of the peoples who are around you, whether near or far off from the one end of the earth or the other, you shall not yield to him or listen to him, nor shall you, I pity him. Um, nor shall you spare him, nor shall you conceal him, but you shall kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. You should stone him to death with stones, because he sought to draw you away from the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And all Israel shall hear and fear, and never again do such any such wickedness as this among you. Uh, this is a huge one. We don't see many examples of this, usually like for somebody close to somebody. I don't, I don't know if there's an example in Scripture. Usually stonings occurred when somebody was like found out, but it wasn't like your brother or somebody close to you who kind of said, you know, maybe, maybe this whole thing is, you know, is wrong. Um, for us as Americans, that's definitely, you know, with freedom of religion, it's uh, part of our Constitution or Bill of Rights is something that like, you know, we, we recognize and, and adhere to. But for them, if somebody tried to turn you away from following God, your response was to stone them. 
So for the Jews to stone Paul and Barnabas, in their minds, they're seeing as somebody um, that is coming to turn them away from following God and following Jesus or following somebody else. Even though Jesus fits right exactly in with their Messiah, you know, that's how they're responding, as if, as if Jesus is some other God of some other religion. Um, again, that's, again, how Satan kind of color, it twists their mind. Now, what is ironic about that? So the Jews want them to respond by saying Paul and Barnabas are turning, turning, the, pe- you know, turning the people away from, to follow other gods. What's ironic about that? That's what they were trying to do. What's that? That's what they were trying to do. Yeah, the Jews, you know... Yeah, what other gods are they turning from? Well, it would be Zeus, right? Zeus and Hermes. And so for them, for the crowd to respond that way with a kind of stoning um, would have been for the offense of turning them away from other gods. And for Jews to kind of tell them, you know, to incite them to do this is really just kind of smacks with irony if you think about it. Um, you know, the Jews and the Gentiles really didn't have a whole lot in common. Um, religiously, politically, I mean, they would have had interactions with each other, especially Jews living in Gentile areas and being, you know, having to, um, you know, uh, in the marketplace would have had to interact with one another, but they kind of kept to themselves uh, a little bit because that's what God had commanded the Jews to keep distinct from the other nations. Um, And so, you know, that's how, how they responded. So very... Interesting that these people coming from other towns who would have worshipped another god than these Gentiles, trying to accuse Paul and Barnabas of worshipping other gods, and so uh, responding with stoning. They probably just got them mad, and this was an excuse to kill them. Yeah, and that's the other thing, too, is you see how this isn't really how you're supposed to go through stoning, um, in the Old Testament, uh, you know, there's supposed to be a little bit more of if you hear of somebody doing this, there needs to be witnesses, and there's kind of more of a more or less a trial. But what was what's the first thing that needs to be done? The first thing is that a person is drugged out of the city and stoned outside of the city. But here, Paul is stoned inside the city, which shows that there's just kind of this mob um, mentality. Uh, that kind of cropped up. They stoned him. And what was the reason they drug him out of the city? They thought he was dead, yeah. So they're like, well, we can't leave him here. So they drag him out and, and throw him out of the city because they thought uh, he was dead. Well, was Paul dead? No. No, miraculously he wasn't. They're like, this guy's dead. Throw him out of the city. The disciples came around him and saw that he was still alive. Where did he go? Back in the city. <laughs> If you were stoned and thrown out for dead, I would not be going back into that city. I would be like, all right, um, can somebody take me somewhere else? But he goes back in the city again. You know, I, we don't, he doesn't say he goes and preached again right in the, in the sun. He's true. I mean, yeah. You see his stubbornness. You see, you know, how God uses all these things for him to, to go back into the city and then, you know, we know that his, he's, he's seen that that's probably the end. Before, they left town when he heard of them wanting to stone him, but they didn't. Um, so now, uh, he's at the city, he has been stoned, and he's like, all right, let's move on to the next place. So he moves on to Derby, but continue faithfully preaching. 
All right, we'll finish up with these last few verses. When they preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples... Actually, let's, we'll, we'll pause here because there's more I want to go into with what, what they did. So, um, Actually, I'll read it, kind of leave us with a couple things, and we'll go a little bit more detail. When they had reached, preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So we see that they get, get to their last city. Um, many disciples are made. We don't see many issues. And then they go back. And we'll kind of talk about you know uh, the reason to go back. And, and I honestly don't think, again, this is pure speculation, but I think the route that they're traveling is heading to a particular place, but they kind of turn their trajectory around and go back to uh, the places that they had been, which is going right back into the line of fire, right back into the heat of the battle, knowing you know, the difficulties they had just faced. Um, I mean, if I went back into a city where I had been stoned, <laughs> uh, I imagine butterflies you know, or something more intense than that, like, how is this, you know, sometimes when you're in an area, in an urban area and dark streets or you're in another country, you know, and it's, you're not quite sure, you feel a little like, you know, anxious. Um, he's already known what's happened to him, having to head back into there. But uh, we see how the Lord, you know, has a greater motive. And that's what we'll talk about next week um, when we come back. What that greater motive is that continues to push he and Barnabas uh, back into um, the places that they just just went. All right. Any uh, any closing comments or questions or thoughts? Know who you're talking to. What's that? Know who you're talking to. Know who you're talking to. Know who you're talking to. Um, be bold. Be bold. But he, you know, Paul recognized his need of boldness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that here he's a, it's evangelism in, in a sense, and then he comes back uh, discipling, showing these believers that, you know, how to stand for your faith that is real and worth dying for. Yeah, yeah and we'll, we'll touch on what that looked like a little bit more deeply next time, but there are two sides to, to Paul um, that we see. It's really, I mean, you know, it's not two sides. It's just kind of the full picture of what God wants every believer to be. So, um, yeah. All right, we'll, uh, we'll stop there.